Yeah, I spent the bulk of my career at the Department of Justice in the Southern District of New York. Um, I started out as a baby prosecutor doing uh, sort of general crimes like anyone else and uh, uh, spent a bit of my time doing um, drug cases, uh, primarily international drug trafficking, and eventually evolved into um, uh, prosecutor focuses primarily on national security, uh, working on anything from terrorism to cyber-related uh, incidents and, um, uh, and economic, economic espionage, uh, all of the above. Uh, and I, I wanted you to try to give a, a tight answer to this question. I know it's a question you could ask, answer for hours, um, but it's related to where I'm going with the podcast. Um, but talking to someone at a cocktail party about what makes, what made, particularly there at the beginning of internet time, prosecuting cyber crimes so challenging. Uh, how would you describe w why that was a special challenge? Well, um, I think as a prosecutor, uh, you are um, you're always looking uh, for uh, evidence, right? Um, and you know, you want to make cases where you can prove the crime. Uh, I think in the early days, uh, it was difficult to know sort of how to do those cases. Um, uh, number one, we just uh, you know, didn't have as many resources as we do even now. And so putting together a case uh, was was a little bit more complicated. Um, but it's also just a matter of priorities. Um, you know, the federal government is a slow, sort of slow moving ship. Uh, so, um, you know, you, you have priorities ranging from uh, uh, drug enforcement to uh, terrorism. And, uh, you know, there are only so many hours in the day. So if you want to be an innovative prosecutor, uh, you sort of have to to work overtime. But even things like the nature of evidence, I mean, something different in the digital world, right? Yeah, it's um, yes and no. Uh, I mean, it's just a different format uh, for the same sorts of things you see in other contexts, right? Uh, people, um, uh, criminals are always looking to get money uh, for uh, for their actions. Um, the, today, they might get it in the form of digital currency uh, instead of fiat currency, but uh, the concepts are the same. Uh, but you're right that uh, some of the investigative techniques are a little bit more complicated, um, particularly when you want to uh, trace back the origins of a crime. Uh, you know, the opportunities for anonymity are greater, right, in the cyber context, and uh, and the actors are more uh, dispersed, right? Uh, you have a lot of actors who are overseas, um, which requires some, you know, partnerships that uh, uh, are uh, a little bit more complex. Okay, so last question on this line. So just as one example, uh, with, with a real world crime, you might um, find a gun at a grocery store. Well, it's incredibly important what happens to that gun when the cops find it and how it ends up in a courtroom, the chain of custody for dealing with that evidence, right? Whereas that's a very complicated problem in the digital world, right? Yeah, I, I actually pose that very scenario to some of my students uh, on the first day of class. Uh, I uh, give them a hypothetical with a, uh, a criminal named Boris, uh, who is involved in a, uh, a heist of a jewelry store. And we go through the investigative techniques that might be involved in, in sort of uh, you know, gathering evidence, whether it's talking to uh, victims and witnesses, to uh, executing a search warrant uh, on his home. Uh, to tracing his uh, license plate number and things like that. And then I give them another scenario. 
uh, where Boris is sitting at a keyboard and uh, is uh, engaged in uh, <clears throat> a similar type of theft, but this time uh, of an online marketplace, for example, and he's using proxies. Uh, he's using uh, a Canadian server, um, going through a U.S. Uh, internet service provider, but hiding his tracks by using servers that are located overseas. Uh, and uh, this time, maybe there are more victims, right? Uh, everybody who's uh, used their credit card at that online marketplace. And so uh, it, it's an easy way to sort of uh, start to unpack uh, the issues of scale that are involved in these kinds of crimes and also some of the complexities that uh, you can run into um, on the investigation side. I imagine it was fun and maybe sometimes a bit scary to be at the forefront of figuring out how do we take these old world, real world techniques and, and apply them to cyberspace and find the right analogies, right? I, mean, I imagine that was an exciting but uh, nervous time. Yeah. And uh, I actually think this is a really exciting time. Um, you know, maybe I have a, a warped sense of uh, what's exciting, but uh, I think this is a really fascinating time to be in criminal law. I think it's a fascinating time uh, to be in government and to be thinking about some of these hard problems. Uh because, uh, you know, this is, um, you know, cybercrime, I, I tell my students that we might as well call cybercrime criminal law, right? Um, any number of crimes are committed through cyber means or digital means now. Um, we, in the early days, people tended to sort of block it off as its own uh, sort of category. But I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's really a means more than anything else, right? People are still you know, stealing things uh, for the most part, or they're trying to gather information. They're just using different tools. Um, so we're, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating time because we're, we're starting to understand it better. And uh, we're also uh, in a position to where I think we can start to uh, better employ some of those tools uh, from, uh, you know, the sort of uh, real, you know, the uh, non-digital world and employ them uh, to uh, the cyber realm. And just, uh, you know, thinking about, um, you know, remember back in the day when, uh, you know, people were worried about the five families and organized crime or after 9-11, you know, so we, we reached these sort of moments uh, in history where we uh, as a country, we come together and we're like, wow, we really need to solve this problem. But, but we do it. And, you know, there are lessons to be learned from history. So this podcast is about these large tech companies, Facebook, Apple, Google, you know, the list and that are so big um, that they're almost impossible to, to regulate. They're, they seem to be answerable to no one, even if they do something, quote unquote, illegal. They, they pay a large fine, which to them is like a parking ticket. Um, and in this podcast, we're going to do a lot of analogizing, some of it bad, some of it okay. You know, how, how, do, how do restaurants and health departments deal with these problems? How, did, how does the financial system deal with these problems? And the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I feel like criminal law has gone through a transition sort of like this. And I'm, I'm wondering what lessons people who want to rein in big tech might take from the experience of, of beginning the world of criminal cyber law. Well, I think uh, you sort of have to start from the premise of, uh, you know, criminal law is one tool and it's not always the perfect tool. Um, so if you think about uh, trying to identify the harms that you're talking about, uh, if you consider them societal harms, um, you have to think about whether the, the criminal toolbox matches up with those harms. Um, you know, you can think uh, about 
any number of societal ills that come about because of, you know, uh, you know, monopolistic concentration or uh, because of bad actors are, you know, using uh, digital tools in the wrong way. Um, so you first you have to identify what is the harm you're trying to solve and then figure out, well, does the criminal toolbox actually fit that problem? I think one thing that we have um, you know, started to learn is that um, when it comes to things like hacking, the criminal toolbox is actually pretty effective. Uh, it's, you know, it's incomplete. It's not going to solve all of our problems, but we do have, you know, statutes on the books uh, that can help us. Um, we have, you know, some resources. I think we need more resources uh, at our disposal, but we have lessons that we can apply. Uh, in terms of the the big tech companies, um, you know, it, it um, you know, what is what is the crime? I think is is what you have to ask if you're looking to apply uh, a criminal tool. But let me ask you this: so uh, you got to some points where you said to yourself, uh, w- "What crime can we charge this cyber criminal with?" Uh, and when when you got to that crossroads, uh, I assume in some cases you maybe were a little creative with, "Well, why don't we use the statute?" Or, or maybe you turned to uh, a lawmaker and said, "We need a new law." To deal with this, how did you deal with those kinds of crossroads? Uh, so I'm not quite sure uh, what you're getting at, but uh, are, are you asking um, what do you do when you're, you're facing a problem where the statute doesn't quite fit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, I, I think in large part um, in in the criminal world, uh, in, in the world of criminal law, um, you're usually not at a loss for statutes. Um, you know, usually for most harms you're trying to address, you're going to have more than one statutory tool at your disposal. The Computer Fraud and Abuse Act is pretty broad, uh, and it can be used for a variety of types of crime, as long as you're talk- talking about, you know, basically some sort of, uh, you know, computer trespass or hacking. Um, if you're talking about a sort of uh, monetary cl- crime, uh, you know, stealing things by means of a computer, then you've got, you know, money laundering, uh, you know, uh, crimes that you can charge. Uh, so uh, there's both the sort of computer specific uh, statutes and then there's the sort of more um, sort of broader, you know, sort of wire fraud, money laundering, those types of charges that fit the the actual conduct um, that's involved. Um <clears throat> And uh, I think that um, it's a, um, I, I'm wary of, of um, trying to get the criminal law to solve um, all of our sort of societal anxieties. There may be situations in which, uh, you know, we need to be lobbying for, uh, you know, a different kind of regulatory structure, or we might be, uh, you know, lobbying for the breakup of certain companies. Those are different kinds of problems that I think that the, you know, the criminal justice system is probably not the right avenue for. Uh, and and I, w- I would agree with you. I think most of these things we're talking about with companies like Facebook are, are, are not necessarily, are, are not crimes. Um, but I, I do wonder what your experience in the evolution of criminal law in the early ages of the cyber era um, you know, what that might teach to people who, who are sitting around and saying, we know something's wrong here. We know we want to do something about it, but we're mm-hmm. not quite sure how or what. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, I think the first, uh, first issue is trying to identify the harm, and that requires bringing different actors to the table. And, uh, you know, one of the things that 
uh, happened uh, early on when the Department of Justice started looking seriously at cybercrime is you know, they they realized that there, for example, is you know not only a, a sort of hacking element to this, which is a harm in itself. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but there's also a national security side to this, that you've got state actors involved, for example, uh, in some of these incidents. And so, uh, well, that requires a pooling of resources, it requires, you know, uh, the, you know, p- people on the left side of the hall to talk to the people on the right side of the hall and try to uh, come together to, to identify whether they're seeing, you know, the same problem and whether or not their tools can be used together to, to solve that problem. Um, with... Um, you know, with the the anxieties that people have around big tech and particularly some of the um, uh, some, some of the privacy issues at play, um, the fact that people are, feel a loss of control over the data and so forth, um, I think that you know one of the first things that you know has to happen is a conversation uh, between different elements uh, of the government and private sector to say like you know. What is the priority here? What you know? What what do I we identify as the primary harms? What are one you know numbers one, two, and three? Um, because if we're all sort of talking past each other, and uh, people on the privacy side are seeing one thing, people on the sort of uh, antitrust are seeing another. Well, you know they're going to be spending their time on different things, and we're not going to get anywhere. 